This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come Celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this bonus episode of the Intercooler Podcast. Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here. A freebie. Um, hopefully a nice little treat, uh, where we're talking about some of the, the most interesting cars that are going to go um, across the block at Bonham's latest auction, forthcoming auction, at the Goodwood Revival. Yeah. This is, so the sale is on September the 17th, that's this Saturday, from 10.30am at Goodwood, during the Goodwood Revival. Um, and actually, do you know what? We should say, shouldn't we? Um, because this will go out before the Goodwood Revival. We're going to be there. We're, we're going to be there. Yeah, with Bonhams. We are going to have uh, a little stand there. Um, and uh, you're going to be there on the Friday. I'm going to be there on the Saturday. So if you're at the Goodwood Revival, come and say hello. Um, it'd be good to talk to some some subscribers or some podcast listeners. Yeah, do come and do that. So what are we doing with this bonus episode? We're just, we've done it a few times now, haven't we? What we do is we get the catalogue for a forthcoming sale Leaf and once we stop drooling and and sort of fantasize over the cars we'd like to be bidding on, um, yeah. And so this is now the third one of these that we've done. And I'm learning that with a Bonham sale, you get two things. The first thing is variety. There always seems to be a real spread of stuff up for sale across the ages, across the categories. But often there is also a sort of theme. Um, I remember when we did the Goodwood Festival of Speed auction preview. The sort of modern classic supercars was the theme. This one, being at the Goodwood Revival, which is more of a motorsport event, it seems like the theme is um, vintage and historic racing cars. But what we're going to do is, you and I are going to talk about some of the cars we like the look of. We're also going to pull in an expert from Bonhams a little bit later on 
Um, and uh, we can ask Louis if, um, if there is a particular theme to this one. So as I said, this sale is um, on Saturday, this coming Saturday, 10.30am. There is a link in the description of this episode uh, if you want to go and find out more, if you want to have a look through the catalogue. Andrew, there is one very clear headline car up for sale this weekend. And I think it's a car you've, um, you're quite familiar with. I drove it, yeah. So this is an Aston Martin DB3. It's it's not an Aston Martin DB24 Mark III. It's an Aston Martin DB3. So this is Aston Martin's first ever purpose-built racing car. Um, they built 10 of them, um, and they made their debuts right at the end of 1951 and sort of raced through 1952. And of the 10, five were works cars and five were private. And of the five works cars, one of them won a really significant race which was the Goodwood Nine Hours, 1952. And this is that car. So this was the first significant race win by an Aston Martin uh, prototype race car. So it's, and and you can trace the line from that win in 1952 with that DB3 right through an unbroken line of competition race cars to then winning Le Mans and the World Sports Car Championship in 1959. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a hugely important car. Um, it used to be black. Uh, they've changed it back to its original colours with the yellow noseband, and it looks amazing. And yeah, I, I a while back, I I drove it. I drove it um, on a track as fast as I could, and it was one of those cars that it just felt incredibly forgiving on your side. Not a car that um, that you think is trying to you know kill you. And um, yeah, it's a it's a fantastic thing, and it's coming up for sale. It hasn't been for sale. I could, I mean, I know it's been in the same ownership for years and years and years. So the opportunity to get far and away the best of the ten DB threes hasn't been available to anyone for goodness knows how long. Um, and yeah, it's coming up, and it'll be uh, under the hammer on Saturday. Around three million quid, they reckon. Um, yeah, what is it? Two point eight to three point three is it's guiding. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and it was um, Peter Collins and Pat Griffith who won that Goodwood Nine Hours in 1952. And yeah, the, so the Goodwood Nine Hours back then was an important international endurance race, wasn't it? Was it a round of the world championship that year, do you know? It, was, it, was, it wasn't a round of the world championship, but back then they had so many rounds, which everyone turned up to, which weren't rounds of the world championship. I mean, yeah. I think in the year that Aston Martin won the world championship, there were like... What was there? I think there was uh, Sebring, Targa, for a little more on the tourist trip. They're like four rounds, the entire championship there. So it's, it's not like, you know, if you weren't around, you didn't really matter. Um, very few races were rounds of the championship. So, so it wasn't. But that didn't mean that, you know, I think there were a team of three work C-type Jaguars. I mean, all sorts kept turned up for that. Um, and this little Aston. And if you look at it, um, it may be that, you know, you don't, a lot of people won't even recognise it um, because its time came and went quite quickly. And obviously, you know, the car, the Aston Martins from the later race cars from the mid and late 50s, the you know, the DB3S and the DBR1, which were, you know, even more successful and even more gorgeous are the ones that kind of people know about and think about when they think of Aston races from that era. But, you know, it was the kind of start point. It was, it's, it is more than anything else, it's just an incredibly significant racing car and not just an example of an incredibly significant racing car. That actual lot, that car itself, that chassis, um is is the one so mm. yeah i'm really really interested to see how that goes i hope it does really well 
And it makes a huge difference, doesn't it, to how uh, collectible, I think, that sort of car is if it has won something significant in period, which this car absolutely has. Um, yeah, particularly with, you know, Peter Collins driving it. I mean, yeah. absolute legend. Um, yeah. You know, that must have been... It actually must have been one of his very earliest races because when he very sadly died at the Nürburgring in 1958, I think he was only 26. So he would have been like, well, what's that, 20, I guess, when he when he won that race. So... Yeah, I mean, did an amazing thing. Proper history, proper drivers. You know, terrific car. Um, and I think you've written about it, haven't you? Uh, I have written about it. Yes, and that will be um, that will be on the Intercooler app and website this week. So, yeah, yeah. No, I've done a, I've done a big story about about its history, about what it's like to drive, where it came from, um, and yeah, so that'll be out this week though, at some stage. Yeah, the dash intercooler dot com, and on Saturday. Um, we get to find out what it goes for. They reckon 2.8 to 3.3 million. So sadly, I will not be bidding. Nor will I be bidding for a very different car that has nevertheless caught my eye, um, which is a 2009. Now, I'm going to get the name of this wrong, um, but I'm going to go with what they've, what Bonhams have written. Um, a Mercedes-Benz SLR McLaren 722S Roadster. Maybe that is right. I don't know. And What's wrong with that? Mercedes-Benz SLR, yeah, okay. Isn't it, it just a 722? Is there, is, the S is the only thing which, but there might have been an S specification. Yeah, I don't know. And it is a Roadster. Um, but uh, it feels like AMG should be in there somewhere, but it's not. Um, but anyway, this is uh, one of only 150 such cars produced. And do you know what? I, what I remember is, um, because 2009, that means it's a late um, SLR. Uh, in fact, they'd been around quite a while by then um and what i remember is that there was a year when or maybe a couple of years when a whole string of fascinating supercars turned up um things like the ford gt um maybe even carrera gt enzo um bits and pieces like that just a a handful of years where some really mega top end stuff rocked up um and it was really exciting the slr was one of them um this is the 722. So this, this isn't the Sterling Moss edition. That, um, which is nuts, which is that Barquetta sort of... Yeah, the Barquetta, the windscreenless thing. This is a Roadster, but tricked up a little bit. 722, so it's, that's the Mila Milia reference. And this is uh, expected to go for 240000 to £320,000. The thing about these cars is... They look like nothing else on the road. And I've only ever driven um, an SLR once, and it was the MSO edition, so a little bit different to this. But when you see one out in the public, it looks like some kind of alien spacecraft. The bonnet is so long. The styling is so out there. Um, um, and they they sound absolutely yeah. amazing. With, with that, that side exit exhaust. Supercharged motor. And, uh, and, you know, the other thing to say is the 722, I mean, the original car, when it first came out, did a track quite a lot of criticism. I think the 722 was done to sort of uh, address some of those issues. And, you know, I think, it, I think, I think it was quite a changed car from memory. I think it had um, different suspension and, you know, there were, quite a, there, there were quite a few things that were different about it. And it was a much improved car. It was always held back a bit. The only thing that, you know, because it was so advanced with its carbon tub and with its carbon brakes, um, the, they never quite got the feel of the brakes right. Um, and they were always, because it had so much torque, they were always a bit um, limited by the only gearbox that Mercedes had, which could take that torque, was the five-speed automatic. Um, 
which does sound a bit sort of um, old hat these days. And at the time, um, it was kind of fine. But otherwise, I mean, the cars are amazing. They handle superbly. They look amazing. They sound absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, there's a lot to love there. And also, you know, compared to some of the other stuff, um, you know, what do you pay for a Carrera GT these days? Oh, eight, nine hundred? Yeah, a Ford GT. It's actually, <laughs> I, I, I see this in the context of those other cars, it's quite affordable, isn't it? Yeah, relatively speaking, yeah. Um, okay, another one that I wanted to talk about was is the 1967 short wheelbase 911 soft window Targa. Um, lovely red car. In the pictures, it looks immaculate. Um, and it's this is chassis number 17, which they think is actually, it's one of the earliest examples, um, certainly one of the earliest surviving examples. And they think that it might have even um, predated the first customer car because it was delivered to a dealership. Um, this is chassis 17 and the first customer car was chassis 21. So this is one of the very earliest 911 targets of any kind. Um, it's, does, it fa- does the fact it's a target put you off at all? Well... Uh, so it's it's up. They, the estimate is one hundred forty to one hundred eighty thousand pounds. And the, yeah, the point I was going to make is that I never really understood drop top nine elevens. Um, but when we start looking at very old nine elevens, which for me um, it, it's probably a, a car that I would never drive quickly. I would never choose to drive one really quickly on the road. I'd never choose to properly exercise it because it's it's sort of alien to me. You know, it's from that era that I. I haven't. Just, I just haven't spent a lot of time driving these cars, and so the idea of pulling the roof off and bimbling about and mooching along and taking my time and just enjoying the sensations—all of a sudden—that seems quite appealing. Mm. Yeah, they're <laughs> nice cars. They're nice cars. Yeah, I quite like Targets um, in a sort of middle-aged man kind of way. Um, I think I'd still rather have a coupe, but mm. don't they? They're, they're pretty cool things. Yeah, I think given the choice, Andrew. I, I would have a coupe as well, but I am starting to be drawn to these these dropped up 911s, these targets, um, just a little bit. Uh, okay, well, we've got Louis now from Bonhams, um, who's here. Hello, Louis. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Not at all. Looking forward to it. So you are uh, the expert from Bonhams, so you can tell us a little bit more about this Goodwood revival sale. Um, we can quiz you on some of the cars. Please um, do. Your name, Louis, is Louis Frankel. Yes, uh, it's it not, is. Not the kind of surname you come across every day, unless you are a Frankel. No, and, so. and I'd just like to say that we are entirely unrelated, and the fact that his father's my brother's got nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> so, the, yeah, okay. So an uncle and nephew situation here, but we won't let that get in the way. Um, Louis, tell us about this uh, this sale. Which which? What's the headline car? We have been speaking about the DB3, but it looks like that is the big one. Yeah, that, that is the big car in the cell. Um, it's a very important car, not only in Aston Martin's history, but Goodwood history, um, which is why it's such a delight to sort of have the car back at a sale at Goodwood. Um, and also, you know, what's lovely about this year is the, the Friday night race this year is the Peter Collins Trophy, which is to commemorate the inaugural Goodwood Nine Hours, um, which mm. obviously this car won the inaugural Goodwood Nine Hours back in 1952 with Peter Collins driving. Um, so it's it's lovely on that 70th anniversary of 1952 to, to have the car that won the first race back. Right. And Louis, I was saying, and I can't remember, and you, you may not know this, but I, I know that the car has been in its existing ownership for a very long time. So it's been such a long time since anybody could 
have had a chance to buy this car. Do you know how long it's been off the market for? I think it's about 18 years now. Yeah. So, so it's it, a long old time, isn't it's it? A, it's a long old time. It's, it's had some lovely owners in its history. It's, it's, its history is documented from start to finish all the way through. We know where it's been its entire life. We know what races it's done. Yeah. We know who's driven it. Um, and, you know, what's so rare for this car as well, you know, being a 50s racing car is that miraculously it, it still comes with its original engine. Um, you know, most racing cars from that day, you know, they probably had five or six engines in the first two years of their life because they were racing cars. Yeah. But the yeah. engine that won the 52 Goodwood Nine Hours still comes with the car. That's lovely. And is it, is it in the car or is it just with the car additionally? It's, not, it, in the, is... it's not in the car. So there's a, there's a sort of racier engine in the car um, that the owner yeah. has used. Who, well, that's perfect, you know, isn't it? So you could preserve the original. Yeah have it on the bench or you know in your sitting room or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and then go and flog the nuts off you know um one year other i mean that, that's the way to do it isn't it yeah absolutely i mean the, the original engine is in a sort of you know it's in full running order uh, and the last time the owner did the sort of million million retrospective they did actually put the original engine back in it um and again that's the engine that did the million million back in 52 so they were very keen to sort of go and you know do the million million exactly as it was back in the day which is a, a lovely thing to have happened um louis we were saying at the start of this podcast that I've noticed there, there tend to be two things with a Bonham sale. The first is variety, a real spread of stuff across the ages, across the categories, road car, race cars. But often with a, a Bonham sale, there seems to be a sort of theme that will reflect the, the occasion. So the occasion here is the Goodwood Revival. Really, it's a historic race meet. So is there a theme that kind of matches that? Um, I think, you know, there's a, there's a certain demographic that come to Goodwood and are interested in that event. So we always try and appeal to that. Um, this sale in particular has sort of come together um, with a sort of very, very British focus, which has been, which has been really nice, you know, with the number of Aston Martins in the sale, the number of Jaguars and E-types in the sale. That's sort of been a, a running theme throughout. Um, but also, you know, we always like to have sort of important competition cars. And I think, you know, in the sale, we've got two of the most important competition cars to come to market in a long time with the DB3, but also the, the Cooper Xerox. Um, so talk talk is- to us about the Cooper Xerox, because we, we were sort of, before this podcast, we were sort of exchanging notes. And I said, well, these are, you know, I gave you a short list, didn't I, of cars that I thought were quite interesting. He said, no, 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 no you've got to, we've got to talk about the Xerox. <laughs> about the Xerox. So yeah. Um, yeah, Xerox is not a name that's going to mean anything to anyone out there. So enlighten us. So the Xerox is uh, an interesting car. Um, it, it's potentially, it, it's certainly got a claim to sort of be one of the best sort of archaeological finds in terms of important racing cars <laughs> over the years. Um, you know, essentially, it's it's the first car to to wear a McLaren badge. It's it's wow. genesis for that company. You know, McLaren F1s, the 570 S's that people drive today. This is this is where it's all started. And what's interesting with this car is it actually started life as a Cooper Formula One car, and then evolved to become. Uh, Bruce McLaren's Guards Trophy winning at Goodwood 1964 sports car. Um, so it had an incredible life um, and is the first car to, to wear that McLaren badge. Um, so it actually wore a McLaren badge? It did. It, it's the first car. It wore a McLaren badge. It was driven by Bruce. You know, it, it really is genesis for that whole company. And did, and did Bruce design and engineer it himself? Uh, he was certainly involved with it. He obviously had his team around him who yeah. were, were helping. And obviously, you know, the, the car was built off a 
pre-existing chassis um so it started life as a 61 formula one car and then evolved over time um but it's been lost for a number of years uh mark osborne who obviously spoke to the last time regarding our our quail sale um he's responsible for for finding it sourcing it and 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 bringing it to markets and uh yeah, I think it, it's quite a special thing. It, so, know, is, it, is, is it is it sort of like in a load of cardboard boxes? Does it does someone need to go uh, and spend a bazillion yeah. pounds on it, or is it? No, it's it's a complete wreck, um, <laughs> but complete. <laughs> uh, but it's complete. You know, there, there's everything there from the space frame to the bodywork to the engine. Yeah, it's all there. But it's 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 been in South America for a number of years, um, essentially, sort of slowly rotting away. But you know, we're we're bringing it back, and I think. It's one of those cars that will we will in the future see out racing again, which will be be fantastic. Can you can you think of a car more like to more guaranteed to get a place on any Goodwood revival grid that there's ever been than that? I don't think it is. I think it's potentially one of the most important cars. I think it's 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 an invitation to not only Goodwood but but everything. Um, you know, it's yeah. history. I mean, if you go through the catalogue, I mean, I think we've got a, a twelve or sort of fourteen-page spread on it. I mean, the whole history of the car is 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 all documented, and it, it's an extraordinary read in terms of how it went from a Formula One car to to being the first McLaren, um, and went through Briggs Cunningham ownership, and you know, the, the names surrounding the car and associated with it are, yeah, it's a and, sort and, of. Sorry, and presumably there's enough stuff with it so that whoever restores it. Um, will will be able to know exactly how to restore it um there are enough photographs of it presumably there are i don't know if there are drawings or well or I, I mean the interesting thing with it is it, d- it depends how you want to restore it because it went through so many different iterations from formula one car to sports car and various different yeah. sport cars it's it, it, it's it's for someone to decide how they will want to restore it i suspect what someone will do and it's what i would personally do is restore it back to its 64 guards trophy spec when when bruce drove it i think that's it's that's that's yeah. the sort of peak of this chassis um existence and, and that i i assume is probably what will ha- will take place um, but should someone want to put it back to being a formula one car that is evidently possible as well yeah and i'm looking at it now there are some lovely photos of it i think at goodwood um so this is the right place for that car to be sold isn't it because as we all know very sadly this is where bruce mclaren lost his life um but this car clearly has um proper provenance at goodwood um Wow, that's a really special thing. Yeah, well, if you look in the catacomb, there's that fantastic period shot of Bruce coming through the chicane yeah. on the lock stops with, with you know, none other than Jim Clark right behind him. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's an extraordinary photo. Um, and, I, you know, the way the car looks there, I suspect, is, is probably what someone will look to restore it to. Yeah. Can we, can, um, can, we change, can we change the pace a little bit? I want to talk about something a bit more sedate, a bit more, what's the word, regal. I'm, I, I, I'm just minded of the fact that, you know, with the sadness of the loss of uh, of Her Majesty, um, you have an Aston Martin, a Prince of Wales, we do Aston have a- Martin, Volante, Vantage, or is it Vantage yeah. Volante, whichever way around of- it is. Yes. Now, this isn't a car that was owned by the Prince of Wales, but it's one of a very short run of cars, I understand, um, effectively to his specification, because what he wanted was... You know, he wanted a big engine, didn't he? He wanted all the power, but he didn't want it to look that way. So it's yeah. a standard-looking Volante exactly. that goes he, like smoke. Yeah, exactly. He basically wanted full Vantage and almost sort of X-Pac spec, but with the narrow, slightly more subtle bodywork. Um, yeah. And I think from memory, I think after his order, I think they, over a two-year period, I think they only built 26 Volantes in this spec. So wow. you know, of, of all the V8s, you know, everyone sort of talks about the X-Packs. This is, this is the really rare one. 
um yeah the sort of you know the pinnacle of that um and i i love i think the narrow body work looks fantastic because you know most people assume you've got a normal volante but those that know know um and you know the big giveaway is the vantage bonnet but uh it's yeah they're, they're very special things and which it needs rare. to have doesn't it because it's got those big carbs on it so it's not that's not a sort of you know Absol- that's not a matter of choice is it you can't have Absol- a normal bonnet absolutely and what makes this one even rarer is it's got a manual gearbox um and i'm not i can't remember exactly how many of them are manuals but it, it's not all of them um so you know for somebody who wants to go and cruise with the roof down in big big v8 aston i mean this really is the one to have there's something comforting about knowing that our new king once specified the more powerful engine in the more modest body that is a man of taste isn't it? it really yes. is isn't it yeah isn't that fantastic absolutely brilliant yeah, so the to be sold without reserve, estimated to go for anywhere between three hundred thousand and half a million quid. Um, so that is a that is a special car. Um, we spoke earlier about a short wheelbase nine eleven, early nine eleven. This one was a Targa, um, and Andrew said he would probably prefer a coupe. Um, I think you can offer him one of those, can't you? We can. We can offer him. Uh, it's not just any sort of short wheelbase nine eleven. It's a full sort of FIA race car but what makes this special and i'm assuming most of your readers and listeners will have seen the video mm. of a short wheelbase 911 being driven round spa on the lock stops it's yeah. done i think i think it's either done just over or just under a million views on youtube um but we do have that car coming for sale it's in immaculate condition it's ready to race um and yeah just there's some if, if you haven't seen the video just go into youtube and type in porsche 911 drift and you will see this car round spa on the lock stops everywhere going past everything from e-types to falcons to even a 904 at one point it's it's one i think it's my favorite on board of any lap anywhere it's it's amazing but yes and, this, and, and, and this is that car and and what, what what's the guide on that car so we're guiding this at sort of 160 to 200 um so obviously you know a lot of that is based on particularly with the popularity of the, the two liter cup one of the sort of most competitive historic racing championships yeah. that's is. a crazy championship now isn't it yeah i think they're sort of up to sort of 35 40 car grids now uh, and obviously this yeah. car is eligible for that has run in it previously um as well as things like spa six hours and everything over the years so you know if you want a ticket to go and race in one of the most competitive championships there is this is your ticket to do that yeah that footage that footage will be responsible for turning so many people onto historic racing because it's it's so much more balletic and presumably more fun than a car with a load of aero sticky slick tires that's glued to the ground this thing is all over the place and it looks fantastic yeah so i totally understand the appeal of that car yeah so, so while we're on that subject and maybe you haven't quite got that sort of money but you still really fancy skidding about in a classy 1960s race car i couldn't yeah. help noticing you've got a julia super race which, car in there which is guiding at 30 to 40 yes which strikes me as being a whole lot of car but not a lot of money agreed well as you and i both know i think you and i would probably admit we've had more fun together in a pair of those than we've probably had doing anything else um where neither they of are the most wonderful cars yeah well, and, I, for the, I, and for that sort of money and as a way into historic racing I just think that's. A, I just think it's a bargain. I really is. It, so, is, is there anything we don't know about that car? 
Or no, is it that, just a... That car's a very well-known car. It's been it's competed at Goodwood in the St. Mary's Trophy a number of times. It was previously owned by Ben Shuckbury, who's a very competitive historic racer and used to run CK, CKL. It was his car for a number of years um, that he raced, took it to Goodwood, competed at Goodwood a number of times. So of all the Julia Supers, it's probably one of the most well-known cars of the lot. Um, and it's got FIA papers, should you want to go and do stuff on the continent as well, which just makes it... You know, th- there's, not, there's, there's, there's not a weekend anywhere in the UK or Europe where you can't be racing that car. If that's if what you want to do and do is go and do as many races in a season as possible on a budget, that's that's the perfect car. And that and that's the thing I think that people so often forget when you know when they're sort of pouring over wonderful racing cars. It's not just the car and even what it did or how fast it is or anything else. It's what you can do with it. Absolutely. And the thing with cars like that is they are so eligible, aren't they? And you know because you can make them road legal very easily. You can go and do on road events. You can do tours. You can race them in. There are so many series in the UK alone where you could race a car like that and all over Europe. Um, and for, you know, for, by historic race cars kind of money, you know, a, a great car, great car to drive, wonderful twin cam engine, real classic car, but just not an awful lot of money. No, absolutely. There's nothing you, yeah, like you said, there's nothing you can't go and do with it. Um, and, you know, with the benefit with this one, it's it's already road registered. So there's nothing stopping you going to do, you know, Tour Auto, Modern Agent, Tour A. It's, it's good to go for that. Taking your kids to school? Yeah, absolutely. Supermarket but, shop? Yeah, but it's a, I'd probably recommend some earplugs, but um, other than that, <laughs> it'd be fine. Well, they come cheap, don't they? So that's fine. Um, were there any other cars that you wanted to pull out? Uh, the only other one I would like to mention is we've got a Series 1 flat floor E-Type, which is also an outside bonnet lock car. It's chassis 31, um, which in itself is very rare. It's one of the first, you know, 50 cars built outside bonnet lock, flat floor. Um, but what's... Is that the, is the, is that the Roadster? That is the Roadster, but the, it's the story behind that car that's so lovely. Um, the current owner, of our vendor for the car, he purchased the car in December 1961, which I think when the car was about two or three months old. Um, wow. And there was a real shortage of right-hand drive cars. And he was driving around in his uh, 3.8 Mark II Jag, and he saw a for sale sign in the window. So he bought it. And uh, he also at the time owned a DB5 and went to Aston Martin and said, could you fit a tow bar to my DB5 so I can take my E-Type racing? At which point <laughs> they, uh, they sort of, you know, snubbed, snubbed it and sort of laughed away. So he fitted his own tow bar and he used to, for a number of years, tow his E-Type to Prescott Silverstone on the back of a trailer, on the back of his DB5, and he raced the car. I mean, he had DB5 as a tow car. The E-Type was his race car. And he's owned the car since 1961. And he's, you know, we're... With, when you get stories like that, when someone's owned that car for so long and done such amazing things with it, it's a real honour to be offered so, the car. So, so this is so from so he's had this car for over sixty years. Yes, absolutely. He's had it. The car was three months old. Well, it, it, yeah, it was three months old when he bought it. Essentially, so somebody had bought it, not not wanted to keep it for whatever reason. So he was yeah. the second owner. Yeah, he was desperate um, for a right drive E type, but couldn't. He'd been told he would have to wait about a year to get one, and he saw a for sale sign in this. He was just driving around, so he bought it. And yeah, he's... And, what, and what kind of condition is it? Is, is it has, has it been put back to road car specification, or maybe yep. it, was, it was always in road car specification? No, so it, 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 it's now as it's exactly as it was when it left the factory. It's immaculate. It was restored by Vicarage uh, a few years ago, um, and it's sort of you know. But through its life, he used it as a hill climb car, a race car, and then in the seventies, uh, having developed the car as a race car, he then sort of did some mod sport stuff with it, um, and then it sort of sat. Uh, unused for a few years before he decided to to fully restore it back to how it was 
when he bought it. Um, and that's the condition we find it in today. Um, but it's such lovely, you know, the story owned it for over 60 years. He used to tow it behind his DB5. It's just the story behind it's just fantastic. You imagine what that must have looked like seeing a DB5 towing an E-Type. It's so cool. Just driving it's down so the cool, road. isn't it? I love that so, so many of the consignments... Um, that, that, that you've managed to get for the sellers. They've just got, they've just got great stories to them, haven't they? And they're not just a car. They're not just a bit of, you know, um, you know, metal and rubber and oil and everything else. They've, they've got proper stories. They've done proper stuff. Yeah. Um, I love all that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only other one I'd probably like to mention is that the 722S Roadster we've got, but just purely on the spec of that car is absolutely stunning. Um, with the dark green over the tan, it's a delivery mileage car, so I think it's done 50 miles from new. Um, I've never seen another one in that spec, and it's just, yeah, I think that's a, that's a special car. Yeah, yeah we yeah, did have cool a chat thing. about that earlier before you came on. Well, there we go. There's some, inter- some fascinating cars in there. Tell us a little bit more, um, though, about the way things are in the market. I mean, still lots of interest, lots of... Lots of cool cars to consign. Absolutely. So we're, I'm talking to you from from Bewley. We've just had our Bewley sale over the over the weekend. It's one of our longest running sales here at Bonhams. Uh, we had a 78 car sale, uh, and we've sold uh, 70 lots, so only eight unsold. So you know, very healthy um, from our point of view here, and obviously a, a lovely sort of run into Goodwood. Um, and so, you so, know, sorry to interrupt, but presumably a, a, a different kind of consignment for it, uh, for Bewley uh, than for Goodwood. Uh, absolutely so a lot of lot of sort of very early pre-war cars um sort of on the lower end of sort of you know 10 to fifty thousand pound range for pre-war cars that's sort of our our bread and butter down at this sale um which has all gone you know they've all gone very very well but yeah you know it's a completely different auction um to goodwood but it's all part of you know what we like doing here at bonhams which is you know catering to all audiences um obviously you know goodwood next week is our, our premier auction of the year and obviously as you can see that's where all our sort of very high-end lots go um but we also like catering for the lower end of the market as well and you know off the back of this weekend that that still feels looks to be you know healthy to us uh, off the back of the results we've just had good stuff okay well um yeah louis thank you for coming onto the podcast um, uh, thank you for having me yeah and for telling us about the bonham sale at goodwood revival this coming saturday um yeah we're looking forward to seeing how all these lots do um and yeah i'm sure we'll do this again at some point thank you for your time not at all thank you guys deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.